morning, everybody. We've never done this before, have we? It's good to see your faces. Thanks for coming out. I tell you what, the last year now, actually, we're into month eight of the COVID journey. And uh, whether you're here on campus or you're online, uh, thanks for pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ in worship and his word to the point that you would come and you would sit out when it rains a little bit or not know how the setup's going to go. But we are here to endear our hearts to our Savior. We are nine days away from the election. Thank goodness, right? But we're going to be looking at something today that's going to uh, transcend all that. And I trust gives you a sense of peace and hope and confidence with where you're at and your family, your work world today. And uh, I want us to pray as we step into God's word. Will you join me? Our Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of this pandemic journey, in the midst of an election season, in the midst of different kinds of weather changes, Lord, in the midst of maybe family challenges, work challenges, health challenges, we do come and worship you this morning. And as we've worshipped you in song, I pray, God, that we would be able to worship you in spirit and in truth as well. Lord, may we find ourselves with our ears dug out to hear not from me, but to hear from you. As if you were to step on this platform in this back lot here this morning, Lord, may we hear from you. And so I pray for each one of us that are gathered here today, whether it's our first time or whether we've been on the journey with the Awakening Church for a while. May we open our hearts to receive. May we set aside any type of preconceived ideas, agendas, concerns, and fears. And may you speak to us today in these moments and in this hour. In your name, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, we have been in a uh, series that we kicked off a few weeks ago, and this series was entitled Thinking Biblically in a Culturally Divided World. And you have been opening yourselves as we pray to hear from God and hear His truth, to receive from Him. We have a need to be able to lead our lives, whether as Christians or if you're on the other side and in one sense haven't crossed that line of faith yet, even as you are a spiritual seeker, we need to lead our lives according not to the world that's around us, that presses in against us, but according to God's Word. And we need to think well, biblically, in order to respond and to interact and to love people. And so this has been an important series, I believe, for us, especially during this season of time in American church, in American history, uh, American church history, I guess, as well, because we have so many needs uh, in the evangelical church to stay the appropriate course. And that appropriate course, as we're going to look at today, has to do with what God's doing in the world foremostly. We each live in different cultures. We each live in different nations. There's 8 billion people that are on this planet currently. Do you know how many billions of people have lived on this planet going back to the beginning of time with Adam and Eve? Have you ever thought about that statistic? There's about 108, 110 billion people, they believe, have lived on this planet. 
And God has a plan and a purpose for everybody who's ever lived, who's living now, and who will live. And so we're going to endear our hearts in that dimension. So I challenge you today again to think biblically in a culturally divided world. The last three weeks we've looked at the fact that your worldview makes a difference. Your worldview makes a world of difference, in fact. How you perceive what's happening moves you to values, beliefs, and behaviors. And then we looked at the fact that if we're going to think biblically about God's Word, then we have to uh, not only uh, determine if this Word that God's given us, the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is uh, without error and is forthright in what it speaks, we have to determine that this Scripture... The Bible is authoritative to speak and direct in our life. And so he said your trust in authoritative truth is historical because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then last week we looked at this whole subject of culture and that your culture is in a secular age. You put your thinking hats on pretty good last week. In fact, I remember one person leaving last week said that was intense. That was intense. But then in life group and some other conversations this week, I was encouraged because um, you actually grabbed a hold of these words that we threw up. We said that the modern world is being shaped by three deep and fast-moving processes. Secularization, privatization, and pluralization. And we are caught up in those processes. And we say, what's going on in the world? What are the changes? What's happening? Well, we said that secularization... I just have my clicker stick. Must be the rain. You got it for me? Great. Move me along because I can't. There we go. Secularization is the process by which religious ideas, institutions, and interpretations have lost their social significance and no longer inform or influence public discourse. It's something that's happening in our world. It's a means by which I don't know why it's not working. You can try to fix it. (laughs) We'll just do like they did on the old uh, uh, film strip stuff. For those of you that went to school during that day, they go ding, ding, right? Change the slide, ding, change the slide. So when I say ding in there, Steve, you, you know that I need to change the slide. So privatization was the second word, which is the process by which A chasm is created between the public life and the private activity of life, and you are told faith is a private matter. Keep it out of the public arena. What you believe is fine. Keep it to yourself. And this is becoming much more prominent today as we looked at. So secularization, by which we're becoming more of a secular culture, privatization, by which you are being uh, sometimes, um, uh, you know, Uh, culturally shut down to be able to be silenced and just carry it to yourself. And then the third was the word pluralization, which says the process of being confronted with a staggering number of ideologies and faith options competing for attention with no view, no one view being prominent or seen as the world. We sit underneath some canopies here today, but we said in the olden days, if you will, there was a big canopy of belief in God and faith, even if you didn't have the faith, you know, that there was an understanding of God. But today we live 
under not one canopy, but a million little tents. And everybody has their own little belief. And whatever you believe is fine. And there's no pursuit of an absolute truth. Those three processes are working in our culture, but they're working on your life and my life each and every day. And what I'd like to encourage us by today is to say that as we're in this um, political uh, heated time, nine days away from an election, we need to understand that, that our culture impacts our politics. Our culture impacts our politics. In fact, it's said by some that politics is downstream from culture. So if you're frustrated with the politics that are going on, then let's look at the culture. But if you want to change the culture, you got the politics, you got to change the culture. If you're going to change the culture, you've got to change people. That's what Jesus is in the business of doing. That's what we labor to do in our love relationships with others, is to move people to become everything that God intended for them to be. And so although we live in a democracy where we have every right and everybody should vote and everybody should engage themselves in the political processes of our nation, the reality is there's something much bigger than that that we need to be engaging in, and that is where culture is shifting to and how people are aligning their lives according to absolute truth and the scriptures. Politics is downstream. From culture, some believe it, some not. Some say politics is our culture today. It used to be in the old days, like we said, you would have an election and there would be winners and losers and everybody would be a good sport to some degree and you move on to the next day of your life. I've tried to contemplate, and this isn't some political speech here, I've contemplated why the pressure and the concern and the intensity on politics is there today so much. I personally believe it's because there's a loss in our culture of the grander vision and the heart for what God is doing. And so we, we begin to look for places to find meaning and purpose and influence and change rather than we as believers in Christ or as seekers of God this morning. We need to step back and understand something much bigger and engage in that. That does not mean you set aside politics, you engage in politics, you're able to make decisions as to who are leaders and what policies are there. And, and probably about my, my only advice I would have for politics today, and you can take it or leave it, is that your worldview does make a world of difference. And so you have to stay with the mindset, not of people, personalities, uh, uh, all those kinds of issues, but you have to look at worldview. And what direction for our country reflects a biblical worldview the best? Not that we're going to become this, as we've sought before, thought a, a Christian nation. We come out of some Christian roots and Judeo-Christian understandings. But we um, are not responsible to make America a Christian-only kind of nation. Part of the beauty of our country is the diversity of thought and engagement, right? But when we come to being able to get caught up in the sweeps of who leads us in a national, a local kind of manner, you have to put on the biblical thinking of a biblical worldview. When I was a college and career pastor, uh, we had a local college and their political science professor is probably one of the best professors uh, that was known on that campus. And I could tell the kids that came out of 
uh, this gentleman who pulled point with the political science because they had good critical thinking skills. And they were able to, to look at Scripture and stand back and look at the issues and not get caught up in all the minutia, but to say, which way do um, certain decisions and governments move us? As they sometimes say, some things are not wrong in their incipiency with where they're at or their initial idea maybe, but you have to ask yourself, where is this heading and where are we going to go if we go with it? That kind of thinking starts to engage in more of a worldview. But you and I, as believers here this morning, if that's your uh, profession of faith in Christ, we must think biblically. Now you may say by that, well, what, what, what are you saying here, Carrie? Are you trying to move us one direction or another in some election? I'm not. I'm saying as you live with God and the peace that's on your heart, you engage in the process. We live in a democracy. We get to make a say. In Jesus' day, who, who, who led the government? Rome. You didn't get any say in Rome. All right? We get a say in Rome. Rome was a city, right? But Rome, over the known Mediterranean world that time, they had control. It'd be like, uh, I don't know, uh, I'll, I'll pick them Frank back here. It'd be like Houston. Houston decided they were going to take over the nation, right? So Houstonians, Houstonians would, you know, I'm a Houstonian, no. The culture that he had and what he was operating in at that time was one where the government, you didn't always engage all much in that, but he, as we're going to see, was at a much higher plane. So that'd be my encouragement today, that in the world of politics, it is downstream, I believe, in some part, from culture, but culture is downstream from where people's hearts are at, and that's what we're in the business of doing. That's why I just simply titled my thoughts here today, and we're just going to look at some passages of scriptures. Your identity stands with the kingdom party. Your identity stands with the kingdom party. What kingdom? The kingdom of God. And some of the minutia, some of the myopicness, some of the fear, some of the, uh, the uh, uh, over-the-top zeal keeps us blinded from where we need to be standing as believers in Christ. And we need to be standing firmly in participation of the kingdom of God. Anthony Campalo was a sociologist a few years back that was pretty hot on the traveling circuit. I remember he would, uh, uh, he would spit a lot. So we had to be in a large uh, arena and people would be listening to him speak and, and they would put up umbrellas on the front row because he would just speak and spit on people. And so Tony Campalo, wow, I lost my mic. I don't spit, but I lose my mic. And Tony Campalo wrote a book that I loved. When I first read the title is, The Kingdom is a Party. And I almost want to say that, yeah, your standing is in the Kingdom Party, and we think, oh, political party, Republican Party, Democrat Party, Libertarian Party, right? Well, that's sort of the finessing of what I'm saying by Kingdom Party. But the party that we're a part of is a party. We live in a broken and fallen world today, but what stands before us as we participate in the Kingdom of God is a party. But your standing as a believer in Christ, your identity is in the kingdom party. Jesus. You picture Jesus starting out 30 years he lived before he began his ministry. And Jesus starts out his ministry with a bunch of political ads. Not. Jesus 
decides that he's going to find 12 other renegade kind of people, pull them together, begin to endear them to the bigger heart of things, and to radically change the whole world. And he says this, Jesus says this in Mark 1.14, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So from, from part, in fact, this verse right here, they say Mark was the first gospel written and the first words recorded by Jesus in the first gospel that was ever written are these words right here. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, a year ago this time, we were in a series. Some of you probably don't remember it if you... You know, if you remember what I said last week, I'm really impressed. But a year ago, right, we were in a series called Epic. And it had to do with this whole kingdom of God aspect. But that's what Jesus did. He stepped forward in the midst of all this Roman government world. And he said, listen up, repent, which means change your mind and your direction. The kingdom of God is at hand. Kingdom referring to the rule and reign of God. It's like, where's he at? Jesus was Messiah. He was God Himself. And He started this reign and it was in hiddenness. But one day it will be the full politics visibly in all the world through all time. He came to initiate the kingdom of God and He says it is at hand. What do you find in Luke 8.1? Luke 8, 1 says, Jesus traveled about from one town to village to another, proclaiming the good news of what? The good news of policy decisions. The, the good news of cabinet leadership. The good news of future programs and giveaways. Security. Whatever, what do politicians pontificate on? Important things, right? But what did he pontificate on? The good news. The good news is that there is salvation that comes and change is coming and it's through the kingdom of God. Do you remember Jesus standing before Pilate? Pilate says, hey, are you a king? What's going on here? And they delivered him up to Pilate and Pilate was like, I don't want to deal with him, right? And Jesus starts to intrigue himself a little bit to Pilate who's a part of the Roman government. And Jesus, after having been positioned the question, so are you a king? Because that's what Pilate heard. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. <laughs> you say rightly for that I'm a king. For this I've come into the world and for this I've died. Huh? What page is he on? If we put him in a presidential debate, they would go, where, where is he coming from? See, he was on the hot seat here. Everybody was wanting him to be crucified. The Jewish leaders were. He was misunderstood all over the place. And here Jesus steps forward with Pilate and he proclaims clearly that he is a king He's a kingdom, not of this world. After Jesus ascended, was raised from the grave, and before he ascended to the heavens, he gave instructions to his disciples. It says this in Acts 1 3. 
After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The next election? Who was going to take his place? He spoke about the kingdom of God. And then he empowered those disciples with his spirit to be able to move that kingdom forward. And you and I sit here today in a sort of a combination kind of environment. Hey, there's blue skies. I think we're good with the rain, Pastor Zach. So we are here today because of that commissioning and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to forward the kingdom of God. Why do I go here, friends? To think biblically in a culturally divided world, you must first think from a kingdom perspective and the mindset of the king. To think biblically in a culturally divided world, you must first think from a kingdom perspective and the mindset of our king. This is not easy work. How many hours did you spend this week thinking about the kingdom? Contemplating the mind and the heart of King Jesus. We have lives that are full, responsibilities, domestic uh, needs at hand. And we run with those. We care for those. That's a part of our calling, our responsibility without question. But here, here, in the heart of the matter, you need to be living in the kingdom of God foremostly. And so I just ask you, where's your headspace? Where's your hope? Where's your loyalty? Where's your drivenness coming from? Is it with the kingdom of God? Or is it with some of the things of this world like we looked at last week? We are in the world. We are not of the world. And Jesus is using us to make a difference. In Mark 10, 42, do you remember Jesus? Um, this is a classic story. Two of his followers, James and John, They did something really sort of embarrassing. Amidst the other disciples, James and John, they pulled Jesus to the side and they said, Hey, King Jesus, we like your kingdom. Could we sit at your right hand in your kingdom? Like, pick us. The other ten are looking on and they're doing, What? What, what are they doing up there with Jesus? Where was their mindset at? Where was their, where their thoughts were not on the things of the true kingdom. Their thoughts were on their own position. And so we have this passage in Mark 10 where they request a position for prominence. And what does Jesus do? He shows them that his kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It doesn't go with the flow of what normally is happening with the human race. Power, prestige, right, popularity, pleasure. Those are the things of the world's kingdom. And so he comes and he tells them this. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Who's he given reference to there? He's given reference to the political world at hand at that time. He says, look at them. Look at what they're doing. They, uh, 
they lord things over people. They exercise authority. And there's nothing wrong in leadership and exercising appropriate authority. And God's given us our uh, governance leaders. I'm not knocking something like that. I'm saying putting on the mindset of the kingdom and the king himself. He's saying, wait a second. Not so with you, followers of me. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. James and John, go back to the seat and sit down. This is my kingdom. You and I, wherever we're at, we have a network of people that we have relationship with, that we're influencing people. Some of those are within the awakening body. Even if you're new today, you know, it's the opportunity to be able to have a great community and a family of people to encourage you and, and champion you on. We are called to serve one another. We are called to serve a neighbor. We are called to serve others. Why? Because we are of the kingdom party. And the kingdom party does not lord over people and look for power. The kingdom party is not weak and wimpy either. Jesus wasn't. He was strong. He stood up against a lot of the, the corruption of his day, especially in the religious world. But what Jesus is calling us to is to have a kingdom mindset, have his mind and move forward with his heart. And his heart was to come and serve and not be served. I have a concern. I have a concern that it's really easy for us as a church, our church, other evangelical churches, to lose sight of the bold opportunity we have to make a stand in our world. We need to lead well. We need to vote well. We need to Endear ourselves well to the task at hand. But we need to lead well from a posture that's different than the posture of the world. I'm all great. I all love a, a presidential election and the theatrics that come with it and the, the highs and the lows and the ins and outs. It's all like you sort of get caught up in it as a, as a great drama. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays this way. I watched two incredible games yesterday. I watched Indiana, where I'm from, upset Penn State with an incredible ending of a game. You can go watch it. And then I watched the Tampa Bay Rays pull off an incredible inning, ending and beating the Dodgers in the World Series, which some of you are pretty sad about today. I always cheer for an underdog. I'll cheer for Los Angeles in game seven, I guess. <laughs> but the posture that we're to have is one of being a servant. And the drama that's unfolding, like the drama that unfolded in those two games yesterday, is not the drama of the political campaign. It's the drama of what Jesus is doing and changing your heart and my heart to be a part 
of his kingdom party and to serve others and to move forward in a dimension that literally rocked this world in the first three centuries and can continue to rock this world. And it has nothing to do, nothing to do, ultimately with who gets in office with this presidential election. It has to do with what Christ has already done. And we rest on that position and that faith and that kingdom and we move forward. Colossians 1, 13-14. We had a great men's group yesterday. We had 16 men gather up. Encourage you to come at 8 a.m. men on a Saturday morning. We're continuing to just press forward in our relationships, encouraging one another, getting to know one another, praying for one another, and looking into God's Word. But we're sort of moving our way through some different parts of the book of Colossians. And yesterday, this verse stands before the verses we looked at, and it's Colossians 1.13. Paul says, for he, Christ, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. And then catch the beautiful, incredibly poetic. Some people say it's hymnology that follows on the heels of this. And we looked at it just briefly yesterday as men. In Colossians 1.15, it says this, for the son, the image is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or authorities or rulers. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. What Paul does here is he says, you may think of Jesus as the meek and lowly servant who came, who died on the cross and was raised from the grave. So be it. That's true. And he changes hearts and lives and, and he's begun his kingdom movement. But do you know who this king is? He was God himself from the beginning of time. He was God himself who created the world. He is supreme. He is above all things. He not only created things, but He sustains things. He sustains things. He creates order out of the chaos. And He will forever reign because He has forever been. He defeated Satan. He trains the trajectory of world history through the power of the resurrection. And this is the Jesus that's a part of your life if you're a Christ follower. And Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And here is the one who our allegiance is towards. So please do not fear whether your pick gets in office or your pick does not get in office. Whether Congress is controlled by this party or that party. Friends, we are citizens of something much bigger. And that's the kingdom of God. And our King reigns. This church is used by actually three different churches. There's a Spanish church, there's an Arabic church, and there's an online church called Ecos Church that they just totally online. And they were in here recording yesterday. And they're good. They're led by uh, Tim Manigault, who had his own, has had his own journey with the Lord through ups and downs. 
He's a black minister, and he's got a big heart for God and for people. And they were in here recording yesterday a powerful hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And following that, they led into the hymn, I mean, to the song, Our God Reigns. My son Levi, who some of you know I had special needs, was with me because I was here trying to do some setup and figuring out, okay, if we do have some overflow, which we have today, I guess you're all sitting back in there. It's like, how is that going to work? And I went in there and I said, hey, Levi, it's time to go. We're going to go to McDonald's. He said, what, Levi? He said, no, Dad. I stay and listen to this. Because at his age, and the dimensions by which he leads his faith and life, he was caught up in worship. I mean, it is well with my soul. Our God reigns. He was finding his identity standing in the kingdom party in that moment. As surely as you guys were today, some of you saw your hands lifting, hearts and dear, is it going to rain? Will they tarp those TVs? I can't see the words, whatever you're thinking of. There was a heart of worship because we are. Friends, do not crumble if things don't go your way. And do not become overly elated if they do go your way. Because we're human beings that try to lead in these worlds. But we have a king, and he has a kingdom. And we are on that path of the one who is supreme, who is above all. I want to close with this passage. Philippians 3.17, Paul just simply comes and he exhorts and he says this, follow my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have, have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And we talked about this last week. You know what Paul says right after this? He's exhorting them to spiritual maturity. To stay the course. To follow his example. To not be caught up. And some of the other pursuits, sometimes decadent pursuits of the world around us. He says this, their mind is on earthly things. But our, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the power that enabled Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters at the Awakening Church today, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Your citizenship, my citizenship, is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. One of the mistakes of the evangelical church in years past 
was they made a big mistake to think that this citizenship in heaven means that we escape from culture, we bunker ourselves away, we create our own little subculture for safety. That is not what Paul's saying. That's not what I'm exhorting us to do today. We are to engage our culture. We are in the world, not of it. We talked about the life raft in the water, but don't let the water in the life raft or you're sinking like we mentioned last week. But in the life raft, you're saving, you're encouraging, you're helping, and some of that is engaged in the governmental political system. I thought it was interesting. The, uh, some of you may know who uh, Senator Tim Scott is. He's a black senator from South Carolina. Going through some of the recent stuff that uh, our country has gone through, he said, Now, as a born again believer, I'm driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I don't look for a black solution or a white solution or even a blue solution. I look for a God solution. That's thinking like a citizen of heaven first. That's where our hope is. As another person said, our hope isn't in who we put in the White House, but in who was put on the cross. Only Him who was put on the cross can put hope back into broken marriages, failed opportunities, shattered dreams, wayward families, damaged relationships, religious societies, bankruptcies, corrupt governments, warring nations, and plagued peoples, and otherwise hopeless situations. As it says in Job 8.13, Those who forget God have no hope. Let's not hang our heads. Let's be engaged in the world around us. Let's not submerge into a subculture and say the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I don't want anything part of it. When you take on your identity and stand in the kingdom party, knowing your citizenship is in heaven, you engage forthrightly to forward the kingdom of God. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and to strength. And to love others as yourself. To serve rather than to be served. To take on all the agenda of the King of kings and the Lord of lords who reigns supreme. We have a lot to do. But November 3rd will come and go. Just like every other political election has come and gone. But we stand on the winning side as citizens of heaven. We engage, but we engage from a higher plane of hope and encouragement. And so with that, I just simply finish by saying this. Your identity stands with the kingdom party because in Christ, your citizenship is in heaven. Amen? I think Joe said he had a song to close with. He's going to come back and do a refrain. It hasn't rained yet, so let's finish out and do that. What do you say? Let's pray. And I invite you to come back tonight. We are having a prayer meeting tonight in light of the needs at hand and all that's going on in our nation to pray not only for our nation, not only pray for God's will and God's purpose through the electoral process and the unity of a body of Christ, but to be able to come together and pray for us as a church, that we stay on mission to be there for outreach like we have Saturday with our trunk or treat opportunity. And it's all outside, right? So we feel we're good with that. Men's prayer, uh, men's breakfast in two weeks on November 7th. We're going to do a burrito breakfast. Sign-ups at the front welcome desk so we know if you want a chicken, a pork, or a beef burrito. Oh, there you go. But men... Let's continue to gather and study in Colossians 3. Man, let's bring a friend. Next week, 
We're planning on being out here. The decision was made, let's do something that's consistent so we're not knowing what's happening from week to week. We're staying with a 10 o'clock service every week. Because Joe and I decided doing a 9 and a 10 was too much work. For those of you online, you can stay online. That's great. But gathered outdoors here, we're going to worship the Lord. And we're going to continue to think biblically in a culturally divided world. And we're going to do that with a heart and a spirit of praise. And as always, you can connect with us. Connect at theawakening.church. Dylan, Andrew, Joe, y'all need to stand. We're finishing out. Some people live in the neighborhood behind us. Some of you are here from that neighborhood. Let's let them hear it. Before we uh, finish up here, I wanted to take the time to invite uh, uh, Mr. Josh Axine up here for a little quick announcement as we uh, close out together in worship. because he doesn't know what's going on. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So, okay. one more time, one more time. Make it if there's a year that pastors need encouragement, it would be 2020, because for lack of a better word, 2020 is kind of something. But uh, let's, uh, we, we want to just have a special thank you to Carrie. Carrie, come on up. Pastor Zach. other can you guys hear me we have lots of other volunteers i want to also take this moment to thank all of our volunteers debbie gibbler rockstar we have don graves around here somewhere so many of you guys serve but there's three ways we can thank these people we can thank them by encouraging them so every time you see them if you have their phone numbers text this guy every sunday he loves it Uh, but encourage them the second way we can help, we can encourage them, we can thank them, is by, by volunteering. So if you're a part of this church and you're not volunteering, I'm calling you out right now. Start volunteering. Find these people. We need help. This church is only getting get bigger. God has some amazing things going on. And the third one we can do is we can pray. Because we need to pray for their families. We need to pray for their ministry. We need to pray for our health. We need to pray that we can throw these things away someday. So uh, right before we sing one last time and worship harder than we ever have, let's pray for our, our pastors, our leaders, the elders too, we'll include them in this, but let's pray. God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for what you're doing in this church, through this church. Thank you for Carrie and his leadership. Thank you for Zach and Joe, Devin and Beth, Don, Debbie, everybody here on staff, God. We might be an odd group. We might not get it perfect every time, God, but you do miracles through us, and we know that our best is yet to come, God. We love you so very much. Amen. We do have cupcakes to celebrate this over here for after church, and uh, there's some. We have gifts for each of the pastors, and we have a special one for this guy right here. So, uh, Don, if she's not scared to be on the microphone, we got a few different things going on for Carrie. We got him a painting. We're going to be remodeling this guy's office. If you've seen the carpet in that office, you would never want to go back. We're ripping the carpet out. We're putting it hard.
men's group on Saturday morning, so that might be a good time to do it right after men's group, but uh, that's maybe my idea. But uh, let's come together and make this happen. This morning, come on, higher than, higher than the mountains that I
bless every single person here. If you don't remember anything today, remember this. I love you, and you are loved by a king. Amen? We'll see you guys next Sunday. God bless.